bow our hearts before Almighty Yahweh. Father, we come before you on your Sabbath day, a day of rest, a day of focus, a day of turning our hearts toward you. We thank you for the blessings of this day. For those that have come out, those who are watching from afar, we may be a blessing to them too. As we delve into your word, learn more about you, and study the truths that you have, that we might walk more like Yahshua. We thank you for guiding and for the answered prayers and for those who are sick and suffering, that you would be with them as well. And so we ask this in Yahshua's name. Hallelujah. You be seated. <clears throat> yeah, some of those songs we sang and heard today bring me back to the 1960s when we first coming into the truth. A long time ago. Wow. <laughs> when a mother learned of her daughter's desire to travel hundreds of miles to YRM, for, uh, for worship, she suggested, well, why don't you just find a church here in town? And that comment underscores a problem thousands of years old. Most look for a place of worship as if they were shopping for clothes. Is the establishment convenient? Do I like the atmosphere? Do I look good there? The vast number of churchgoers have it all backward. They look for what pleases them, and what satisfies them, and what's in it for them, instead of what's in it for Yahweh. Is it pleasing him? During feast times, we're kind of made aware of all the other ministries, groups, and whatever, observing Yahweh's times around the country. And, you know, in teaching and practice, these groups run the gamut from highly conservative to wildly liberal. Very a smorgasbord, I guess you could say, of faith out there. So how can anyone know whether Yahweh accepts the worship that's going on in there? Does it matter? And do feastgoers even think about that when they go to the feast, wherever they're going? If teachings are right, does that make a difference? If teachings are wrong, does that make a difference? Are they accountable by association when they go there? When Yahshua was out calling his apostles to help in his ministry, he gave specific instructions to each of those he called, each of the 12 he called. He gave instructions, not choices. Drop your fishing nets, Peter, James, and, Paul, and John, and follow me. You'll now have a new vocation. It'll not be life as usual from now on. Matthew, close your tax books. Follow me. Luke, your days of pushing your health remedies are over. Follow me. He didn't suggest alternatives. He didn't say, well... You can join me as part-timers, or you can come with me at your convenience, or you can also go with John the Baptist whenever he's in town. His ministry is as good as mine. Now, it's either come with me or don't come with me. That was their choice. Come with me or don't. And remember, choices have consequences. 
When we are called by Yahweh, the only option we have is either to reject the call or to accept the call and risk, if we reject it, being cast off or to accept it and begin a different life, both now and forever. How mind-blowing for those fishermen to go from casting nets into the sea to fishing for men all over Galilee. To change to the right way of life themselves by submitting to Yahweh's word. You talk about an amazing and satisfying career change. At Yahshua's trial in John 18, verse 38, Pilate asked the most mindless question in all of recorded history. What is truth? With truth standing there, staring him right in the face. If you want the truth, follow Yahshua. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The Apostle Paul summed it up in Romans 9.1. I am speaking the truth as one in union with Messiah, he said. In Ephesians 4.21, Paul reiterated that the truth is in Yahshua. Yahshua embodies the proper way of life. He also is your high priest, your savior, and your judge. He will also determine whether you're worthy to be chosen for salvation. As the judge, Yahshua even now is judging his followers against a standard, against the law. You know, we hear a lot about this day about the Supreme Court choice. And the man says he's going to judge by the Constitution. Judges judge by something, not just their own whims. Even if they don't have a specific law, they judge by case law. What was decided in the past in a case like this? They have to have some kind of standard or they're just flying by the seat of their pants and that doesn't make a good judge. Yahshua said, he follows his father and obeys his father's commandments. He has complete authority over our redemption. He told the young man in Matthew 19, 17, if you want everlasting life, keep the commandments. In the age-old debate between law and grace, what my judge said to this fellow in the New Testament is all I need. It's all I need to know. That's proof enough for me. I need to do the same. You want everlasting life? Then be obedient to what's instructed in the word. Forget the malarkey about no law, living free of guidelines, letting Yahshua be your obedience, letting Yahshua be your Sabbath rest, and you just go living on your life the way you want to. Is that insane? Let him do it. I'll just do whatever I want. Sure, yeah, and you're judged by your works. That's not going to work. It's the craziest doctrine out there I've ever heard that we can just do whatever we want. Just throw it all on Yahshua. That's not what the Bible says. He did it as an example for us. Not in place of us. Not to replace us. Not to replace obedience in us. That rebellious mindset goes all the way back to Eden where Hasatan tells Eve, you are your own destiny. Don't listen to Yahweh. You can bypass him. You can knock him out of his throne and you can be 
You can be king of the universe. I was once asked, Pilate-like, what is truth? Yahshua already answered the question in John 17, 17, your word is truth. His statement has a dual meaning because Yahshua is called the word, the word. So it's, it's, it harmonizes beautifully. The word is the truth. He's the word. He's the truth because he adheres to the word. Churchianity likes to operate without biblical standards, criteria, codes, or tenets. At least that's what we have to conclude by their faith alone doctrine. When you actually back them into a corner, they'll admit, well, they believe in the commandments. Sure, I mean, any, any uh, intelligent person would agree the commandments are good. We don't like to kill, steal, or any of these other things. We shouldn't be doing that. That is important. Yeah, we agree with that, but that's as far as they go. They just aren't bound by them. Does that make sense? I don't have to keep the Sabbath. You know, Yasha's already doing that. I don't need to do that. They don't have to be bound by that. I'm covered by grace. Well, if they're covered by grace, they don't know what sin is, and sin is a transgression of the law, which uh, they're transgressing if they sin, when they sin. So, anyway, they want their own spiritual destiny on their terms and their convenience, and that's the way it's been for who knows. 2,000 years, 2,000 years. They want options while still professing that they know and love Messiah Yahshua. That's impossible. Not following the biblical precepts at all times shows you don't actually believe what Yahshua taught because that's what he taught to do. But following him. 1 John 2, 3 says, proof that we know him is keeping the commandments. Proof that we live in him and dwell in him is to walk as he walked. 1 John 2, 6. He was totally obedient to his father Yahweh by our example. Through what he did, he gave us an example how to do it. We talked about that in the programs this morning. That uh, he was a, an example to follow to show how to live that Old Testament. Not throw it out, but how to live by it. Because that's the only Bible he had. He and his apostles only had the Old Testament at that time. With an open philosophy, and it is a man-made belief and teachings, one denomination is as good as another. Welcome to Church Smorgasbord, where you can just pick a fellowship, anyone, whatever is convenient, as the mother told her daughter when I started the message. So how can that fit with Ephesians Four, four to five, where Paul said there is one body, one master, one faith, one baptism. How does that fit? I guess they're all right. They all teach different things, but they're all right. How can they all be legitimate and equally correct when they're completely at opposite ends of the spectrum in some of their beliefs and teachings? In light of the Bible's warning about apostates running around deceiving people, maybe that is why so many won't really Teach the word. They don't want to be found out that their doctrines aren't in Scripture. If they're all part of that one true body, then all their teachings would agree with one another. They would all agree with one another. We wouldn't need tens of thousands of denominations and churches because they'd all be teaching the same thing. All the thousands of different fellowships out there 
would have beliefs teaching and harmonizing, not schisms, not first, second, and third in their names, and wouldn't result from conflicting teachings. Okay, let's get down to brass tacks here. Here are the ten ways, based purely on Scripture, that you can identify the true believers, the true body of Messiah. I'm going to take them in no particular order. We begin in Hebrews 5.9, speaking of Yahshua. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. It's more than just easy believism. And far more than having faith alone. Hebrews teaches us the necessity of taking an active part in our own salvation. This is not passivity we're talking about. This is activity. We're talking about following a certain way, living a certain life, changing to that life. Paul noted that to be justified before Yahweh, which is foundational to salvation, requires more than just having good and pious thoughts. He wrote in Romans 2.12, For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. See, there we go. We have to have a standard. The standard is how we live by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before Elohim, but the doers of the law shall be justified. In fact, our eternal rewards are based on what we do in this life. You'll know them by their fruits. We say that all the time. You'll know him by how he lives. Sure. That's how we understand who someone is, what they believe, and what they, what they are by how they live, by what they do. For the Son, Matthew 16, 27, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. So works aren't important. I guess your salvation isn't either then. You also know them by their works. 2 Timothy 4.14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. Paul is busy summing up his ministry. He's talking about different people that were with him and aren't with him and some that, you know, did start off doing the uh, ministry or whatever. Well, Alexander the coppersmith apparently was not his favorite. He did me much evil. He says the master reward him according to his works. What does he mean, did me evil? Next verse. Of whom be thou also, of whom be thou where also, or aware also, for he has greatly withstood our works. Strongly opposed our message, the RSV says. Moffat reads, has been bitterly hostile to anything I have said. Kind of reminds me of certain People in politics, no matter what they say, they're wrong. Never right, always doing wrong. I mean, you ought to be in prison, they're so bad. It's so ridiculous. But this guy was the same way. Whatever Paul said, you stand back there, ah, throwing mud at him. I don't know what he was doing. But he certainly wasn't, he wasn't uh, coppersmithing when he should have been. I have said, if you have experienced the same from family members, you're also in Paul's company. And many people suffer from that. My family, does, I hear it all the time. I'm a, long, I'm a lone wolf. I'm a lost sheep. But according to my family, I'm gone. I'm, 
I'm the only one and all they do is attack me for what I believe. Obedience does not come naturally. It is learned. It is learned. If it came automatically, our parents would not have to have sinned in the garden. They would have known that obedience is something they would automatically do. In Revelation 3, 2, we read, The Sardis Assembly did not have good works and were told to repent. Why were they not having good works? We're talking New Testament. We're talking the end of the book New Testament, and Sardis does not have good works. The assembly there. Well, I thought faith is over works. Faith replaces works. So many contradictions and so many doctrines today. So commandment keeping is also a hallmark of the true assembly. We read in Revelation twelve seventeen of the time just before Yahshua returns, just before he's coming back. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. The woman, of course, is an assembly. This is a remnant. These are people probably in our day. It's talking about our day. There's a remnant who are faithful, which keep the commandments of Yahweh and have the testimony, teachings of Yahshua the Messiah. A sister verse is Revelation 14, 12. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of Yahweh and the faith of Yahshua, not exclusive of the faith of Yahshua, but both. We have to have Yahshua. We have to have faith in Yahshua. We have to have our faith in Yahshua, but we also are told to be obedient exactly as he was. It goes along with keeping the commandments. They're not mutually exclusive. Okay, a third trait of the true body. Most teach that the assembly or church was born in Acts 2 at Pentecost. It all started brand new with a different teaching about faith versus works that uh, then found in the Old Testament. Problem? We find Israel is called the assembly way back at Sinai. Is there a new assembly starting or is it a continuation? Acts 7.38, this is he, Moses, that was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers which received the lively oracles to give unto us. Moses gave the lively oracles. What is that? Oracles, things spoken, the commands Yahweh spoke to give unto us. It wasn't just for Israel. It's passed on down. We have proof of it in Acts, in the New Testament. Acts 7.38, read it. The spoken laws at Sinai, and these are given to the New Testament assembly long after Yahshua was resurrected from the grave. Long after. His death didn't abolish the commandments. On the contrary, they keep the commandments. They keep the Sabbaths, including the high day Sabbaths within the feasts. These are all Sabbaths. We always think of the Bible talking about Sabbath as, you know, the weekly Sabbath. They're all, all the feast days have Sabbaths in them, sometimes multiple, on each end and in the middle, the weekly Sabbath. Lots of Sabbaths. To be a sign. Moreover, I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them that they might 
Know that I am Yahweh that sets them apart or sanctifies. Sets them apart. They're a mark of the true body of Messiah. All right, what's another one? Revelation 3.8 says his true assembly will keep and teach his word and will not deny his name. Not deny his name. Well, that whittles it down pretty thin, doesn't it? There aren't many people out there preaching the true name. Not many groups out there. They may keep the Sabbath, like the SDA. Lots of them, millions. But they don't, they deny his name. They deny his feast days. So they're not it. How many denominations honor his name and keep the Sabbath and feasts? The Jews don't. The Jews don't. Not properly. Neither do most messianics. They don't. The true assembly will be unknown to the world. Therefore, it cannot be a huge denomination. It can't be. In fact, if you want to find true worshipers, think small. That's counterintuitive, isn't it? Think small. Why? Because Yahweh always seems to choose to work in the realm of small. Abraham and his family. He started with a small family. Moses with his brother. That was it. Sometimes with the weak or the uh, others that you would never think. He wanted someone to go and convince Pharaoh to let his workforce leave him. Who would he have chosen? Think about it. Moses, who had a speech impediment? Yep, and it didn't bother Yahweh at all. Moses said, well, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't talk to Moses, I can't even talk. Right, I guess, I don't know, whatever it was. No problem, Yahweh would have accepted that. He would have made it work anyway. Hey, the ten plagues would have made the difference anyway. But anyway, he uh, didn't bother him. All right, then, take, take Aaron. He can be your mouthpiece. If that bothers you, take Aaron. He chose Israel, not because they were the greatest, the largest nation on earth, the most powerful nation on earth. No, he said, I choose you because you were the smallest. I like to make small great. That's what Yahweh does. He likes to show his power through his might and through his wisdom. They were the least powerful. How many disciples did Yahshua take along with him? Thousands? The ones who gathered with him every day along the seashore and whatever? Come on, all you people. We're all going to get in this ministry together. I want lots of seats filled. No. He took 12. That's all he took. And, of course, others joined later on. But he chose only 12 to work with him daily. What about us? 1 John 3, 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of Yahweh. Therefore, the world knows us not because it knew him not. They didn't know him. You think they're going to know us? We teach him? No. Not generally. The truth resides with a few. It always has. It always has been the few who have turned the world upside down. It doesn't work any other way. Think about it through history. He sent his only son to redeem the earth, to redeem the world. Twelve closest disciples. 
And all of them eventually denied him or ran away from him at the very end. Even his name, the three weakest letters in the Hebrew, make up the most powerful name in the universe. Number five, as the religious establishment hated Yahshua, so they will have animosity against any who are connected to him. That way you know they're right. One of the the ways you'll know they're right is the people don't like the message. I'm being a little facetious, but it's kind of true, you know. Think about it. His people don't fit into the world's thinking, their values, their goals, their ways. Yahshua prayed in John 17, 14, I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. You don't fit in. And down through history, that's the way these other groups who didn't fit in were treated. The world hates them if you don't get along with them, if you don't laugh at their jokes, you don't pal around with them, you don't like what some of the things they do. They can tell you're different. The next two identifying characteristics are related. The true assembly will teach the restoration or return to teachings forgotten, ignored, or covered up for 2,000 years. That's a long time, 2,000 years. Malachi explains it using the words fathers and children. I like to think of it as patriarchs and assembly today, fathers and children. The children are those who came later. The assemblies, the groups who teach the truth that came later. Like, I guess, I hope, us. And the prophesied one to bring this restoration is Eliah, a name that means, you know, I means possessive in Hebrew, El, I, Eli, my El, and then Yah, my El, Yah. In fulfillment, it'll be believers who return to the complete truths of the word as the fathers or patriarchs had taught them. Malachi 4, 4 to 6, at the very end of the Old Testament, we have this message. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Eliah the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of Yahweh. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers. See, the fathers were already thinking about the children and the message that they would adhere to, and the children looked back to the fathers, the patriarchs, the Old Testament, if you will. Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. You ever thought... Is because of the true believers that this whole thing doesn't come crashing down? It's because of his people. He says he delays his coming because of his people who are still keeping to his word and not denying his name. And he shall send Yahshua the Messiah, which before was preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which Elohim has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. All the way from the beginning, this was spoken of. The restoration. At the very end, there's going to be people turning back to the truth. Turning back to the truth. I can't think. No other. It's got to be the 20th century. It's got to be. 
Because how many were keeping to the, the name and also keeping his feast days? His Sabbath and his feast days. Together, not just one or the other, but together. That didn't happen until the 20th century that I can think of. Think back in the 18, uh, the, the Great Revival back in the 1840s, 1860s. Um, they weren't honoring the name in mass quantities or uh, maybe the Sabbath where the SDAs came from. But it wasn't both together along with the feast days. That's only been a modern thing, brethren, only a modern thing. He says, I'll send you Eliah, my Elijah. But it must take place before Yahshua can return. He's going to give the world a chance. And can you think of any other way that this message can go out to all the world if not the internet? Who's got the billions of dollars to go on TV in every country in the world? Radio, any, every country. Internet, anybody can. And people are picking it up all over the place. I can't think of any other way that it's going to go out to all the world and then shall the end come. The times of restitution of all things which Elohim has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. Jude 3. This could be our slogan, I guess, if you, you want to call it that. Behold, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. That faith that was given way back there. Still, he said, the... the, the the uh, gates of the grave will not prevail against it. It won't die out. It'll continue on with a small little group somewhere holding to the truth. And it was once delivered to the saints. They, his righteous ones at the end, will contend for the faith, will believe it, will follow it, will live it, because they know it's right. We're fulfilling prophecy and actively making prophecy come to pass. When you think about it in that way, you know, if it weren't for us, the stones would cry out. So, number seven, while most of churchianity dispenses with the Old Testament, and they do, I mean, they, yeah, it's there, but it's only there for cute little stories about David and Goliath, um, about Moses and the little, in the uh, Nile River. Um, don't talk about it, the commandments at all, but uh, good little stories, you know. Um, Solomon and his might, or maybe, uh, you know, some other story that they can talk about during uh, children's class. But it says true worshipers will follow the Old and the New Testaments as the complete harmonious scripture. Preach the word. All scripture is given by inspiration. That includes new and old. All scripture. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness. That the man of Elohim may be approved, having good works. So anyway, we are commanded to live by every word of Yahweh. 2 Timothy 3.16 is a direct contradiction to the beliefs of nominal worship. Who will not adhere to what's in the Old Testament. They think that's just for Jews back then, for Israel. Well, they don't even distinguish between Jews and Israel. They're, of course, 
Israel's a lot of tribes. Jews is just one. Judah was just one. But they, they lump them all together. And uh, it's given by inspiration of Yahweh. Yahweh breathed. That's what inspi- inspiration means. Yahweh breathed. Reminds me was that we, my wife got a Dr. Oz book. And I mentioned this before. There's a little blurb on one page. And it's, he, he said in there, I don't know if he wrote it or his sidekick, but he says, when you say the name, when you, put it this way, when you breathe, you're saying the name. Remember he put, put the spirit into Adam's nostrils? You ever done that, really breathing hard? Yeah, isn't that amazing? I thought that was interesting. His breath is in us and his name along with it. We just have to acknowledge it. That the men of Elohim may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The Bible is complete unity. It's made that way. It's important to be that way. Not chopped up. It's self-affirming as well. Isaiah 8.20, to the law and to the testimony. To the law? Testimony to that law, which has to be the New Testament. If they speak not according to this word, it is because they're in darkness. No light in them. They don't speak the word, there's no light in them. Why would you want to continue? People ask us, well, you know, I like to go down to the the corner church because they keep the Sabbath. Is that okay? Compare it against scripture. Is that okay? If they don't keep the rest of the law, is that okay? There's no light in them. Why would you want to go where there's no light? Ephesians 2.20, 21, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Yahshua, Messiah himself, being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the master. Well, the imagery is great, isn't it? Think about it. A holy temple, fitly framed together, everything the way it's supposed to be. You know, when they, when they built the, the temple, he said, don't. I don't want to hear any sound of hammers going, you know, chiseling rock and whatever. Everything has to be cut out at the quarry. So when you bring it in, you put it together like Lincoln logs. Everything fits. There's no noise of work. Because it's a Yahweh building, not man building. I believe that's the message that he was trying to convey. Yahweh puts it together. So he didn't want the sound of chisels and hammers and Saw blades, DeWalt's going on, or whatever. But, you know, I always wonder, too, how can these things burn? You know, well, there's a lot of wood. There's a lot of wood in the ancient construction. There's, yeah, it's stone on the outside, like a lot of our homes, but there's wood in there that can burn. Anyway, um, they're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The apostles and prophets are what were given to show us the way. And that's, they, they form the foundation of the assembly. And Yahshua being the chief cornerstone. In whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the master. Apostles and prophets. New Testament and Old Testament. They all fit together. The New English Bible reads, In him, Yahshua... The whole building is bonded together 
the whole building is bonded together by the Old Testament and New Testament teachers. The turning of the children to the fathers represents returning to the New Testament uh, by the New Testament believers to Old Testament truths. That's how I read it. They're united by living the ways of Yahweh, unified by Messiah who showed us how to live the ways of Yahweh by his own example. And he taught the same precepts, the Old Testament precepts. When the New Testament references scripture, first and foremost, it means Old Testament. Now, Peter also said, now now take it easy when you read Paul. You might get confused because uh, Paul said some things kind of hard to understand and people twist them, his, his writings, as they do all the other scriptures. Peter calls Paul's writing scripture. Same authority as Old Testament. Everything is scripture. People deny Paul, just throw him out. Some of the early uh, apostates tried to throw out Paul. Peter didn't do it. Yahshua said, he, he's my, my uh, representative, my apostle. Why would we deny him as scripture? He was, he was also um, inspired by Yahweh. The only Bible they had, the only Bible they could refer to, they called it scripture. Okay, we're getting near the end. The assembly, number nine, is a family. A family, John 13, 35, who have love for one another. Not only does Yahweh typically work through families, but his assembly is a family. It's going to be a family in the kingdom. It's starting now to grow, to expand. One day it will be a kingdom family, and Yahweh will be the head of it. Yahshua under him. In fact, maybe I should read that. I don't have this. John 13, 35. You know, it's, it's amazing how everything fits together in the word. It's just, it's just amazing. If people would only take it at face value. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. A family loves one another. In fact, they see when it's all over, you know, when your life is all over, all you really got left is family. Where's everybody else? You know, family is is what you count on. Family is what supports you. Family is what takes care of you. So, um, Yahweh typically worked through families, but his assembly is a family, and one day it'll be a kingdom family. And also, the last, this, this one kind of, kind of works in reverse. Apostasy. How do you know the, the true assembly? By comparing it with the apostates. For I know this, Acts 20, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. So we can see the true body by comparing it to the apostate. You see what's wrong with the apostate, and then you'll know what's right with the true body. So 
That may not be all. I mean, there's other examples of, uh, of the truth. But I think these are the main things that show the true assembly. Mostly the obedience to Yahweh, the accepting of his truth, the following of his truth the best we can. Now, we don't have it down perfect, but uh, we strive daily, like Paul says. I, uh, I die daily, as Paul said. <laughs> you know, he said, they said, don't go, don't go to Rome. They're going to kill you. He said, I'm already dead. It's fine. My mind, I know I'm going to die one day, but I've got to get the truth there, and I don't care. And when you've got that kind of faith, you think Yahweh's not going to be behind you. He will. So let's keep the faith. Remember the, the truths that Yahweh has established in his word and stick to them so that we can one day hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into life everlasting. Hallelujah.